Thank you for joining us for another leadership podcast by Pastor Jurgen Matesius, lead pastor of C3 Church in San Diego. All right, well, welcome everybody to the June edition of C3 San Diego's Leadership Podcast. I'm here with Pastor Jurgen Matesius. How are you doing, Pastor Jurgen? Very well, sir. Good, that's great. And uh, so we're recording our June edition, and um, before we get into it, I just want to highlight again, coming up, uh, the end of June is our Empower Conference, our church-wide conference coming up that I'm super excited about. Actually, every week that goes by, I'm more pumped up about it. And, uh, and so you can, uh, you can register online for that. You can register on our C3 Church app for that as well. That's the last weekend of June, and we have some incredible speakers lined up for that, don't we? Yeah, we do. Uh, Bishop Michael Pitts, uh, Chris Hill, who is the uh, pastor of uh, Potter's House in Denver, Colorado, um, and then uh, James Murray for our yep. youth, Natalie Miller for the kids. Yep. So it's a kids' conference, it's a youth conference, and then it's a, a church conference, a leadership conference, pastors' conference, everything thrown into one. And basically it's designed to, you know, for us to take our church to the next level. And you can only take a church to the next level by taking people to the next level. But every other uh, pastor and leader that comes along, they're going to find that they're going to step into something, uh, just a grace and an anointing that God has put on this house to take things to the next level. Yeah. So. Sometimes you can you can kind of slug things out for a year that God can do in a week. And um, so, you know, I always find that I get a download from heaven. It's a, it's a deposit in, and then it takes me the next six months to outwork that. But it's six months of incredible productivity because it's there's a supernatural touch because I caught something from God as opposed to me trying to, with the arm of the flesh and with the wisdom of men, trying to force things or push things or make things happen. Mm. And uh, so kingdom things are built, you know, from from kingdom power, kingdom spirit. So that's what this conference is. Last week of June, if you haven't registered, register. We've got pastors coming from Australia and New Zealand, all over the all world, over, Canada, yeah. E, and uh, all the way down to South America. So, you know, get get registered, get along. It will rock your world from England, people coming. That's great. So it's going to be amazing. Coming on over. And you can't beat San Diego weather either in June. Not in June. No vacation destination so come go to empower conference and have a vacation with your family and team it'll be a great great time well this month what we want to talk about and we've been doing a series here at at c3 church uh doing a series called moneyopoly and uh it's probably one of the greatest series i think that we've done and just educating the church on how to master our money because i think so often we shy away from talking about money we shy away from bringing it up or asking people to bring or asking people to give because we, we feel like that's wrong in church. And so we kind of uh, took the bull by the horns in this series and have been preaching about it all month and and just seen some great things happen. So we want to structure this leadership podcast, Pastor Jurgen, around the moneyopoly theme and more uh, strategically uh, dealing with leaders and pastors and a leader's responsibility in dealing with money and their responsibility of teaching on money and and should they teach on it, how often they should teach on it, and what are the principles and practices behind teaching on it, and how much is too much. So I I want to start off by uh, asking this question right now to you is, because I know a lot of leaders out there kind of struggle with, with this and don't do it too often or do it every once in a while, and is it, how important is it for leaders and pastors to teach on money? 
I think it's I think it's essential because you know uh, there are over two thousand verses in the Bible that deal with with the subject of money and possessions, and I think what happens is in a lot of churches, a lot of uh, pastors and leaders feel bashful to talk about money because um, there's a level of, I guess, guilt or compromise because quite often as a pastor or a leader, you can be caught in the crosshairs of you need to raise money. Uh, you got to, you know, every week the tithes and offerings have to come in for you to pay the bills and pay the wages and keep the lights on. And so pastors quite often will step backwards because they don't want people to think that I'm only teaching to get. And you know what? There's a lot of a lot of leaders that that's all they do. They only teach to get to keep the lights on. And I think that, uh, that you know, something's really missing. If you can just get your heart right, uh, if you can just consecrate yourself, because the priests had to consecrate themselves before they went about their priestly duties. Yeah. Even though they were separated as priests and anointed as priests, before they could go in, they had to change their clothes, they had to have a bath, and they had to put on a linen outfit, and they had to clothe themselves to get themselves. There was a whole, probably an hour or more of preparation before they could actually go about their priestly duties. It, even though they were priests, they were Levites, they were separated as priests, they still had to go through that. And I think that... Uh, you know, every pastor or leader should prepare their hearts and just uh, w with the agenda that I'm going to speak about money, not to get money. That's that's a given thing. But I'm going to speak about finance because my heart is to empower the people, to empower the congregation. Psalm 35 verse 27 says that, you know, let them rejoice and be glad them shout for joy. Uh, for God delights in the prosperity of his servant. God delights in the prosperity of his servant. And so, number one, you know, uh, we need to speak about prosperity. We need to speak about finance because, number one, it brings joy to God. God delights in the prosperity of his servant. God does not delight when we're struggling, when we're battling. The other thing to me is that leaders need to speak about money because uh, a, a prerequisite of leadership is example. And if, if, I'm, if I can't make, you know, make it, if I can't pay my bills, if I can't get ahead, if I've got a poverty mentality, how can I lead a congregation? Right. I have to wow. be able to advance. I have right. to be able to multiply what God has put in my hand. Right. I have to be able to deal wisely and shrewdly with money. And I also have to master money. I can't let ma money master me. If money has power over me, it, it, I'll, I'll live in lack all the days of my life. But if I have power over money, uh, there's a whole lot of benefits that, that uh, you know, will come to my life but also come into my world. And so I have to teach. I have to model and I have to teach. And so I think that um, a pastor needs to speak about money. He needs to be courageous. But it's the greatest integrity builder because uh, Jesus didn't say you can't serve God and the devil didn't even say you can't serve God and self. He said wow. you can't serve God and money. Wow. So money is such a powerful force. Wow, that's, that's really good. And how often would you say, I know here at C3 San Diego, we'll teach around the offering and tithes every single week. So how often do you think a leader or a pastor should teach on it? And really for how long should they spend on it? Is it every week? Is it every month? Is it every year? What are your suggestions on that? You know, I think that... Uh, if, you know, uh, every week you have an opportunity to speak on it. I think that um, the, the pastor has to resolve the approach to how he speaks about money that 
um, I, I refuse to get up and speak to ex, you know in an extortionary kind of way to make people feel guilty to kind of beat people down and, and I've seen that in, in congre you know congregations where you know if you're coming you're not tithing you know leave the church because you're taking up somebody else's seat and oh my gosh it was hard you know there are leeches here and wow. you know what what is a leech a leech is something that feeds wow. off wow. you know the life of something else yeah. and you know if you're not tithing you're a leech and and I've seen that and uh, you know and maybe that works for some people I've always found that rather than do it through, uh, you know, an extortion kind of thing, rather do it through inspiration. There are so many wonderful scriptures. And so, you know, and I learned that from Pastor Phil Pringle, that when he would get up and speak around giving, it, there was always faith. And he would always wow. just put faith out wow. there. Faith is a much greater motivation for people to be generous and giving and step out and trust God than guilt. And you can get up and hammer the people and make them feel guilty and rotten. And they may throw a little bit of money in, but they're just going to think twice about coming back in the future. Whereas if you put faith in there, you raise hope, you raise expectation. And people begin to search the scriptures and stand on the scriptures. You create a platform for people to begin to see the supernatural miraculous power of God begin to work in their finances mm -hmm. and it's and it's wow. so important so I would say every week you have an opportunity you have to resolve the method and but then really you know as as a pastor as a leader you actually have to keep your finger on the pulse wow. of your Great. church and you you need to know like in in my life I know that I'm responsible for four harvests so there's there's a thousand things I could preach about there's a thousand things I can give myself to but I know that God says focus. And there are four things I have to focus on. I have to, uh, one of them is souls. That I'm responsible to bring in a harvest of souls. The second one is leaders. I have a responsibility to bring a harvest of leaders. The third one is a harvest of volunteers. And the fourth one is a harvest of finance. Wow. They're my four harvests. And so I've, I'm constantly looking at our church saying, okay, are we getting soul saved? Are we making an impact in the community? Are we leading people to Christ? Second one is, are we raising leaders? Because I think we've hit another threshold, uh, you know, trying to break the 3,000 mark on a regular basis. To do that, we, we need... Uh, f uh, more than 440 leaders. And I think we're right on that threshold because, you know, like we've heard, there's a seven to one kind of ratio right. dynamic right. that's in play. Uh, it, however many people you want in your church, you've got to build, you know, a, a seven to one ratio, seven people to one leader. Mm. And so you've constantly got to be raising leaders. Uh, and then, you know, volunteers, the same thing. Volunteers is really heart buy-in. And then money. And uh, you don't really have people till you have their money. People will join a church and then it'll take them three to six months before they start giving, tithing into a church. But before people leave the church, they'll sit in a church for two or three months before they leave the church. Wow. But for two or three months, they'll have stopped giving. Wow. And so giving is a great indicator of where a person's heart's at. And uh, once, once a person's joined the church and they're loving and they're praising the worship and they're turning up every week and you see them, they may even be volunteering on a team. But there's a threshold. There's, right. a, there's a supernatural, spiritual, unseen threshold that when they cross and they begin to give, you know that you've got them. So I would just say, wow. you know, to pastors and leaders, you know, it, it's your flock, it's your congregation, and you are the shepherd of it. You've got to know the sheep. You've got to know um, the pulse, the heartbeat. And you've got to 
you've got to kind of find that leading in the spirit. So as often or as little, you know, is dependent on, on what's going on. Yeah, great. And I know some leaders are out there probably saying, well, we talk about giving quite often or, or every week, but why do you think it's important for leaders to actually preach about money specifically and not just giving, giving of their time or giving of their, uh, you know, energy, but giving money specifically? Uh, you know, I've got a, I've got a scripture. Let me just find it for you. It's in, uh, it's in the book of Proverbs. And as soon as I get this thing up, here we go. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15 says, The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. So the rich man's wealth is his strong city. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So here we see uh, competing powers. We see that the rich man's wealth is his strong city. And yet in Proverbs 18.10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and safe. And so, so the reason that we need to, to speak not just about giving and generosity and giving of your time and everything, but actually specifically speak about money is because the, the great battle is to trust in the temporary, trust in the perishing, because money has power. Wow. Money has power. There's, you know, for a rich man's wealth to be his strong city, it must have power. Um, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a great quote that I've got here um, by uh, a guy called Roger Starr. I'm not sure if he was a rock star, but Roger Starr. And he says this. He says, money is the most egalitarian force in society. It confers power on whoever holds it. Wow. So the most egalitarian, you know, egalitarian just kind of basically means, you know, non-discriminatory. The most non-discriminatory force in society is money. Wow. Because it confers power on whoever holds it. So whether a drug dealer is holding money, he has power. If the righteous hold money, they have power. Whoever holds the money holds power. And so money has power. And so... It's very, very easy for people to put their trust, to put their faith in their money, to put their faith in their wealth, to put their, the rich man's wealth as his strong city. And so we know the Bible says, nowhere in the Bible does it say not to have riches, but the Bible says, do not put your trust in uncertain riches, which make themselves wings and fly away. So our trust is always to be in the Lord, never in our finance. And so whether you got... Uh, you know, a dollar in the bank or whether you've got $100 million in the bank, don't put your trust in, in the money. The problem is the more money you have, the more tempted you are to put your trust in the money, to put your trust in your power and your ability to generate money where you feel that you don't need God, you don't need to trust God because why do I need to trust God? I've got all this money. So it becomes the great battle. And that's why I think that <clears throat> teaching on giving money specifically every week because the only way, the only way you can exercise power over money is through giving. And we say it all the time and I need to say it again that if, if you have something that you can't give, you actually don't have it, it has you. If you have something, if you possess something that you cannot give away, you do not possess it, it possesses you. 
And God is always testing. He comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, will you give to me, you know, your firstborn from Sarah, which is Isaac, because he belongs to me. And Abraham absolutely waited 100 years for this kid. It's now he's 112. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have too much left, you know, in the, in the bank. Sarah's 102. And uh, one miracle, at, you know. And so anyway, so she, she uh, you know, he, he goes and he gives because God was first. His trust wasn't in his ability, in his seed, in his possession, but his trust was in God. And so you, I think that it's so important uh, because we don't even realize the seductive force and the seduct- seductive power of money. It was, it was what took Judas out. Right. Judas was sold everything, followed Jesus, was in all of Jesus's meetings, heard all of his sermons, was an eyewitness to the raising of the dead, was an eyewitness to every miracle, the cleansing of lepers, Lazarus raised from the dead. Miracle after miracle, Judas was there. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that because he was the treasurer, he was a thief. He used to take what was in it. So he could not trust God with financial gain. He kind of trusted God in every other area except when it came to giving. And you find there's a story where in John chapter 12 where uh, Mary comes and she, she spends a year's wages on pouring out perfume on Jesus' feet. Just brings an offering, an incredibly extravagant offering a year's wages and she pours it out on jesus feet and there's only one voice in the whole choir that becomes indignant there's only one voice of indifference and it's judas and he screams what a waste why this waste this should have been sold and given to the poor and it sounded so spiritual it sounded so he was literally rebuking jesus and creating dissension that, you know, if, if CNN were there, that's right. You know, here we see Messiah Ministries International. And, you know, here's this woman and she pours it. You know, there's uh, alabaster oil, a spike nard. Let's cross over to Ken. Ken, how much is one of those? Well, you know, I've done my research and it's about a year's wages. What is that? $60,000. You realize, you know, here we have Judas. Thank you, Mr. Judas. You know, that could have been sold and given to the poor. How many poor are in the streets of, you know, Jerusalem here? And then they have, down, you know, shots of downtown Jerusalem with, People sleeping on cardboard boxes and people eating out of trash cans and dumpsters. And, and uh, does Jesus care? Well, you have it right here on CNN. No, he doesn't. And, uh, you know, and just spreading dissension. And, uh, but that's, that's what it does. And so, and who's the guy who betrays him? Judas. For how much? 30 pieces of silver. 6,800 US dollars he betrays Jesus because he never dealt with the money thing. And I'm telling you. Uh, if you think, man, I would never betray Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the table eating food. He says, one of you will betray me. And they're like, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? Is it, what, man, what do you mean one of us is going to betray you? you? If you can't trust Jesus with your money, I'm telling you, the devil has already found his weak link. The devil has already found the pressure point. The devil has already found. The Bible says this, that Satan entered Judas's heart to betray Jesus. Why? Because there was an area that he wasn't letting God govern. And uh, so money is so important. Well, and I know in our giving, it starts with our tithe, with 10% of all of our increase. But I know one of the biggest arguments out there right now for leaders and, and really most people who come to a church and hear about giving and tithes, and their argument is, is this, well, tithing is Old Testament. 
And we're in the New Testament under the under grace and not under law, so I don't have to bring my 10% anymore. It's more like bringing what I want or what I feel like. So what would you say to that person out there that thinks tithing is Old Testament? Yeah, you know, that, that, that is, it, it's, it's such a convenient uh, argument. And Pastor David, in you know, 20-something years of being a Christian, I hear that one at least yeah. a dozen times a year. At least yeah. once a month I hear yeah. someone say that. We even had a, a famous uh, radio personality on Christian radio in New Zealand who said, oh, you know, tithing's Old Testament, you know, um, under the law you had to give 10%. I've given God everything. I've given God everything. But if you actually looked at what his accountants was, he wasn't even giving 3%. Wow. And uh, because I've, never, I've yet to meet someone who says, I've, God's got everything and they give more than 10%. Really? If, if you're willing to give God everything, yeah, so you wouldn't be kind of barking like a little bullfrog yeah. about 10%. Yeah. Yeah. But let's have a look at it. Let's have a look at it. Uh, is tithing under the law? Well, obviously, the first answer is no, because Abraham tithed. Yeah, that's right. You know, some five, six hundred years before the law. The law wasn't given until Moses. Yeah. Abraham lived five, six hundred. There was, there was five or six centuries yeah. of record of tithing so it existed well beyond the law but let's imagine it you know because it is in the law uh so is murder yeah. thou shalt not kill and we know that you know the first offering we see in the bible even before abraham was cain and abel and abel tithe but cain just that i'll just give god whatever he you know he should just be happy with whatever i give because abel brought the first fruits of his lambs so the first is the tithe that belongs to God. So, so Abel tithe, but Cain doesn't. Cain just kind of says, well, you know what, the bucket's coming. I'll just throw, throw here's a few uh, veggies on the ground. I'll just, you know, fall off the tree. You're going to go to waste anyway. Might as well give them to the Lord. God doesn't smile on that, but he smiles on Abel. So Abel gets blessed, Cain doesn't. So now Abel's ticked because they're twins, but everything Abel's doing is, is blessed. And Cain's still flipping, you know, kind of battling away. So Cain rises up and murders his brother. Now, we can say, well, you know what? Thou shalt not kill. That's Old Testament. That's so under the law. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, yeah. murder is still. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, or adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, hell, that's so, you know, out under the law. Yeah. If I committed adultery, my wife would murder. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, so we'd be break. And so, you know, so there are things that were, you know, God brought them under the law yeah. to, just to kind of, you know, shine the spotlight on them. But these things existed before the law and they exist, exist after the law. But in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus, who's my savior, yeah. actually says that we ought to tithe. Yeah. He says to the Pharisees, you tithe on mint and cumin and on you know, all, all, all your herbs and everything that comes in. And then you go ahead and you, you do this. He says, you need, you know, but the way that you treat people. He says, you need to love and treat people well as well as do the former thing. Wow. So he's saying you need to... No, Excuse me, not just tithe, but you need to tithe and treat people well. So if, it's, if Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23 that we ought to be tithing, then, uh, then I don't, you know. So, but, it, but people, if you want an excuse, you'll find, I mean, you can, you can twist and manipulate the scriptures to, to kind of back up any weird right. doctrine to please yourself. But at the end of the day, it comes down to do you want to honor God and walk a higher road? Or do you want to just, you know, on, please yourself? Yeah, great. And could you share the revelation that you shared with, with the church and us as a staff on uh, giving your tithe as opposed to bringing your tithe? I thought it was one yeah. of the greatest things I ever heard. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because, you know, with, with the month of Moneyopoly, 
I'm looking everywhere where it says give, give the tithe. And nowhere in the Bible, nowhere from Genesis to Revelation does it say to give the tithe. In fact, there's only two words associated with the tithe and it's bring and steal. So the only two options that we have with the tithe is we either bring it to God or we steal it from God. In fact, God says, have you not robbed me? And they say, how have we robbed you? He said, in tithes and offerings. And so I can't, I can't be robbing God if it belongs to me because it's mine. I can't steal what belongs to me. I can't break into my house and take my television and walk out, you know, and, and put it in the back of my car and the cop pulls up. Hey, you know, it's my TV. You can't steal what belongs to you. You can wow. only steal what belongs to somebody else. So when God says you're stealing from me, the inference therefore must be that you are taking something that does not belong to you. And if you read all the way through Exodus 13, uh, verse 12 and 13, the tithe is the Lord's. In fact, the Bible says in Leviticus 27:30 that the, the entire tithe of the land belongs to God. The tithe of everything, the tithe of the ground, the tithe of the crops, the tithe of the the sheep, the tithe of the oxen, the tithe of the cattle, the tithe of your own home. Everything, the first of everything belongs to God. And so it's, it's the great test of the Garden of Eden. So God puts Adam in a garden and he puts a tree in the middle of the garden. God puts the tithe in the middle of our, you know, it's right there in the midst of your earning, your salary. The tithe is there. And God says, of all the trees you can freely eat, but don't eat from that tree. It belongs to me. You have access to it. It's in your hand. It's under your stewardship. It's under your governorship. It's right there in front of you. You've got to water it. You've got to care for it. You've got to nurture it, but you can't eat it because it doesn't belong to you. And it was a test because if Adam would have not eaten from that, he would have graduated and and been promoted and the garden would have only increased. God's plan for Adam his vision was for Adam to have dominion over the whole earth but he begins him in a garden God is always testing to trust and once he trusts he'll test so he can trust you with more the test never goes away the tithe is the test and so because Adam reached out and took from the tree because he failed the test he ate what belonged to God instead of the garden and his world increasing his world diminished his world decreased and so it's, it's, just, it's just the great power and it's a great test. So we can either uh, bring the tithe or steal the tithe. Giving begins after the tithe. So good. I, lo- I love that revelation. And uh, in the last few minutes we have left, I want to uh, debunk a few excuses that leaders and pastors kind of give of why they don't talk about money or preach about money. And one, one of them I've heard is this. Well, it's easy for you guys here in San Diego to talk about money because people in San Diego have a lot of money. And, uh, and, and so they'll use the excuse of where they live is why they don't talk about it. They think, oh, well, we don't, we don't talk about money because our people don't even have enough money to pay their bills. So how could we ask them to bring more than what, what they have? And so they kind of use that as an excuse as well as, oh, well, your church, you know, you can do more things. You can have more lights and media because San Diego has more money. Where, where we live is more tough. There isn't that much money. There isn't that many finances. So what would you say to those leaders out there that are kind of using that as an excuse to not preach and teach on money i would say that that's the exact reason that you need to speak on money i remember when you know when the 2008 gfc global financial crisis hit i remember you know being in prayer 
and really specifically saying to the Lord, okay, God, you know, I probably need to change track here. I need to back off speaking about money. And I promise you, as clear as I hear God, God rebuked me and he said, don't you dare. He says, the only way you're going to shepherd these people through this valley, the only way you're going to shepherd these people through the famine is to get them not to look at the famine. Not to trust in the famine, in the rain, but actually trust in the economy of God. To look to my supernatural provision. And then he says, in fact, I need you to step up and teach uh, you know, about my principles more than ever now. Because the only thing that's going to sustain them through this season is my principles and my power. And uh, you know, that, that whole cop out, and, it's, and it is, it's a lie from the devil. Because in, we may live in San Diego where, for whatever reason, California, there may be, let's say the wages are higher, but so are the taxes. Right. So are the, the costs yep. of living. Yep. You know, I I've fly to the East Coast and, you know, gas is like a, a buck a gallon yeah. cheaper than yeah. it is here. It's you true. go to, you know, Texas and, you know, land is cheaper, cars are cheaper, homes are cheaper, food's cheaper, everything's cheaper. And so... There may be more money, but there's a whole lot more bills. There's a whole lot more taxes that we have to pay here. So, you know, but that's that's a, a lie the devil would love to 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 give people. But I would just say that um, if I really love my sheep, if I really love my congregation, if I really love my people, I have to teach on finances. I have to teach biblical prosperity. And you you need you need to understand that my motivation is never ever in a way to kind of, you know, lubricate the wheels to get more money from you so that I can have stuff. That is never the thing. I know that as you step out and trust the Lord, as you step out and give unto the Lord, that you will find that heaven will open over your life. That you give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together. A river flowed out of Eden. I got this revelation the other day when I was speaking, I think, because I knew a river go, flew out, you know, flowed out, and so we have to have an outflow. But the river flowed out of Eden because God is a God of systems. Hmm. So wow. the Bible says a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. So you need to have a flow out because if the river flowed into Eden, it would begin a garden, but it would very soon become a swamp. Because a swamp is, is a body of water that has no outflow. So for it to remain a paradise, there had to be a flow out, not just a flow in. Awesome. So... so I, I'm preaching and, and all of a sudden the, the Holy Ghost is on me and, as, and I'm preaching about the flow out. Why? Because where does a river flow? Where, where do all rivers end up? Ocean. In the ocean. Yeah. So the river flows out into the ocean. What happens at the ocean? There's evaporation. Those, that evaporation comes into the clouds. Those clouds move over the mountaintops and as they rise in altitude, precipitation takes place and rain comes down. And begins to water the entire earth and begins to water the garden. So, wow. so giving, having an outflow, you are participating. You are stepping into a closed system that works. And we look around and we see it working all around about us. And Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. The generous soul shall prosper. He who waters shall himself be watered. Why? Because there are processes and systems that God has put in place. We've been, uh, you know, we've been, I've been a Christian for 28 years. Pastor Leanne and I married 22 years, in ministry 23 years. And, uh, you know, started working for the church for free. 
But right from the onset, we began to tithe. And I'd love to tell you in the first year, even first few years of our marriage, it was easy. It was never easy. It was always difficult. And uh, it was always a challenge. Those early years we were paid peanuts and we lived in a very expensive city, Auckland, New Zealand. And, uh, but we put the Lord first. And God has so blessed us that when they said you couldn't buy a home, we bought a home. When we sold that one a year later, we, we doubled our money in, in 12 months or 11 months. And then we bought land and we built another home and doubled our money again. And then we moved to the northern beaches and we kind of rented for a little while. And then we bought land and we built a home and we doubled our money again. Then, you know, I bought an acre on the northern beaches, not knowing that God was going to call us to San Diego. And we could have doubled our money again. It was a real test for me because uh, we would have made about probably 1.3 to 1.5 million profit if we would have built on, on that, that land. Because an acre on the northern beaches with ocean views, you, you can't find and um, God says, you know, I want you to leave it and move to San Diego. And the, the economy was crap there and it was ripping here. And so, you know, we lost half a million moving over. But it's like God is saying, where's your trust? And literally for me, it was, it was the same God who took me from nothing to where I am. I can, I can go, you can strip everything away. You can take everything away because my trust isn't in uncertain riches. My trust is in the principles and the power of God. If tonight, if tonight I lost everything, if tonight I lost all my homes and all my money and all my finances, I promise you before God, within a year or two, I'll have that much back and more also because my money, my faith isn't in my money, in my skill, in my hand, but in the proven, certain, assured principles of God that I've seen work in the scriptures again and again and again and I, you know i don't want to boast but when we look at our giving uh you know we, we give probably somewhere between 30 and 35 percent we don't even just do the 10 of our giving and yet we we seem to always have an abundance we seem to always be able to have breakthrough and i think that when you're when you're bringing your tithe and you're generous before god it actually gives you a platform to stand on so that I can speak to, you know, we've got a situation at the moment where we're building something. And, uh, and I felt God, there was a few little challenges. And I felt God just say, stand mm. on the land yeah. and just say, money come. Wow. So I just stood on there and I just commanded money to come. And it was like I felt an authority rise yeah. on the inside of me. Because if you're faithful to God, he rebukes the devourer. Authority flows from submission. And when you don't tithe, you're not in submission, you're in rebellion. When you tithe, you're in submission. When you're in submission, authority flows through you. So I can rebuke the devourer because I'm under authority. I can say to money, money cometh and money co I can speak to the heavens and say, heavens open. How, and I, I believe it's going to happen. Why? Because there's a confidence because I know I'm not robbing God. I know I'm tithing. I know I'm standing on the, 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 the obedience to the word of God and the promises of God. And so it just, it just keeps coming. That's so good. And I, I know we're coming to a close here, but if you could just do this um, as we close, be able to speak to specifically the pastors out there that uh, I think feel guilty for prospering. 
feel guilty because they're blessed, feel guilty. And they think, you know, maybe by the congregation or, or by certain people around them feel like they shouldn't prosper or be blessed financially because they're a pastor. And so if maybe you could kind of speak into that, why, why they should and, you know, why it's okay for them to be blessed and prosper. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, pastors quite often, there's a, you've got to be careful who you put on your board. So, yeah. you know, let me just kind of do a little bit of a, uh, an, uh, an uncovering or maybe a, a transparency here is I refuse, and it was really great counsel and advice that was given to me to put anybody on my board who earns less than me. Wow. And I'm telling you, I've seen pastor after pastor who struggle with people on their board because the board member looks at the pastor's salary wow. with envy. Wow. And money is such a powerful, and then wants to control the pastor and doesn't think the pastor ought to earn that much. So I refuse to have any small-minded, negative, envy, jealous, miserly spirit occupy a seat of authority mm. on our board. Um, so, you know, so we should want the head to prosper because God pours the oil on the head. Psalm 133 says the head on the the oil on the head that flows down on the beard, then onto the garments and then running down. So God always blesses the head. So all you got to do is make sure that you're attached to the head. You want a blessed head. Yeah. You want a blessed pastor. Correct. You don't want a pastor who pulls up and <laughs> the car just kind of just makes it, you know, the wife's pushing it onto the parking lot and he gets in here and, you know, he's got, you know, a suit on that's 10 years old. He's got a rip in the knee and, you know, shoes that are all scarfed and, you know, the, the wife is, you know, she's bitter because, you know, she can't shop and now she's jealous of the people who can and so she becomes a nasty and, uh, and then he gets up and says, hey, follow me. You know, I'll lead you in paths of righteousness. You know, hey, the Bible says that his paths, God's paths drip with abundance, even though I haven't found them, obviously, because I'm not dripping in abundance. Yeah. So my job is wow. to walk the paths of God wow. and call you under those paths. Awesome. The Bible says his paths drip with abundance. And so I find that it's that number one, it's not just about permission, but I actually find that it's responsibility, yeah. that I have a responsibility to prosper. Now, in saying all of that, you need to understand that I am a fierce tither mm. because I recognize my own frailty, my own humanity, my own pride and the yeah. devil's uh, schemes. I need to tithe and I need to give and I need to be generous. I need to be able to just give away when God says to give because money, money is such a deceptive, it is so stealth-like. Mm -hmm in its ability to, you think you're, you're mastering it, and the next minute it's, it's kind of on top of you. So this is what I would say, is that if you put money over relationships, if you put money over friendship, if you put money over people, you're, you're wrong. If you, when you see people as, wow. as a paycheck, and so, you know, we, we kind of slam a little bit of the, you know, the pyramid schemes and network marketing at some times, or maybe not slam, but put some very strong parameters because we want our people to enjoy prosperity, mm. but we want them to increase with integrity. Jesus says, use wealth to make friends. He didn't say use friends to make wealth because you can make all the money in the world and then be incredibly lonely because you, you used, all, used and screwed all your friends and now you ain't got no more friends. Yeah. They're just business associates. Actually have friends and enjoy your money. Find a different way. You know, take the longer road. And, uh, but I've seen it again and again where over money, relationships are soured, you know. Uh, and, and so I, I never want to be in that place. I, and and uh, 
you know, as a pastor, you need to prosper, but mm -hmm. not prosper so much that you are extorting money, that you're taking money, or you're wow. putting money ahead of relationship. Mm -hmm. And I've found that, um, you know, I lend a guy, you know, six figures, who's a best friend of mine. He promised to give it back after three months. You know, three or four years later, he still hadn't given it back. I'm in Hawaii in my hotel room, you know, praying, and God says, forgive him the debt. Just forgive it, forgive him. Wow. I'm like, God, it's a lot of money. You know, we could, we need that money. There's 101 things I could do, the church, everything. God says, forgive him the debt. Look to me. I'm the God that repays. Look to me. And, uh, and just, just being able to forgive and being able to give and, and uh, you know, and the relationship was strained and the relationship is, is broken on his side, not on my side. I, I reach out, tell him I love him, believe in him, but the, he just carries a guilt now. And uh, so... Um, you know, pastors, I think, must prosper because I have to model to my congregation what it is to be the master over money, mm. to not be mastered by That's money. Right. So I have to be. So I think I still am. Uh, you know, Jesse, I'm not sure, but I, I, I was for the longest time, for every other year in our church, in the top five givers. Steve Kelly rebuked me. He says, you shouldn't be. Man, you need to raise up more millionaires. There's something wrong with you if you're still in the top five. Oh, crap. <laughs> and, uh, okay. And uh, so, but, you know, I may have slipped out. I think I might, might be sixth at the moment. But, you know, maybe that is a sad thing. Maybe we need to, you know, help our congregation to prosper so that I'm fighting just to be in the top ten. Mm. But, um, but I've just determined that I, I will never let money be my master. Wow. Jesus is an incredible master. And when I make him my master and keep him as my master and master money, I actually enjoy money. I enjoy what it can do in my hand because, it, because I, I, I am using, I am harnessing its power for kingdom purposes, to, to, be, to enrich myself, to enrich my family, to enrich my congregation, to enrich the city, to enrich. Wow. And that's, that's the place that money's meant to be. But if, if money has power over me, you never have enough. Wow. And you ruin relationships and you screw people over and you, you know, it's a horrible thing. And I see it again and again and again. You know, we had a situation where uh, I met a pastor from another city. And when I, when I sat with him, uh, he was talking wealth and he lived in a flipping mansion, a, you know, 12,000 square foot home. And, uh, but when it came to pay the bill, he, I noticed he, you know, and so I'm always, you know, Mr. Generous. So I, I, you know, kind of step out and pay the bill. And then there was another two things that happened that I could see that this, and I remember red flagging, this guy has a problem with money. Well, today that guy is no longer a pastor. He's been indicted for fraud. And, uh, you wow. know, pastor, lead, talking all this, this wow. shop, but really, you wow. know, was a Judas. Had wow. never, money was his master. Yeah. Because he, he, got, he got, you know, enamored. He got intoxicated with what money can do. Wow. And it's the most, most powerful, most prolific force that we have to deal with while we're here on earth. Because money is the currency that makes everything turn, makes everything work, keeps our economies alive. And so the only antidote that you and I have to staying as a master over money is bringing the tithe to the Lord. And then on the prompting of the Holy Spirit, bringing offerings over and above. Awesome. Well, that's so good. Thank you so much, Pastor Jurgen. That is a lot of gold nuggets right there. And uh, so, so that concludes our June edition of C3 San Diego's Leadership Podcast with Pastor Jurgen. Don't forget, leaders right now, sign up for Empower Conference the last weekend of June. It's going to be a phenomenal time. Can't wait to see you here from all over the world. And uh, it'll, it'll be fun. So we love you. See you next month. 
Thanks for listening to today's message. To find out more about our church, go to c3sandiego.com.